The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This morning we're going to be looking again in uh, Romans chapter 8. And we've been talking about uh, the battle that we've all been drug into, uh, whether we want to or not, the battle against sin. And we talked quite a bit last week about uh, this is a a battle that's not optional. Uh, Whether you want to fight it or not, Paul makes it clear that we are to fight against sin. And it's a lifelong struggle for us. Uh, to, to fight against sin. And Paul, um, Paul says basically either you kill sin, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, and you kill sin in your life, or it will kill you. And that's the choice we have before us. And so it's a serious battle we must wage. Uh, and uh, to keep it in context, when you look at all of Romans up to this point, the cool thing is that God has, has gone to incredible lengths to give us the advantage in this battle. Right? He, he has sent his son. He has uh, allowed him to suffer death on the cross so that we would, we would be dead to sin. So that we would be released from the requirements of the law. So that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit with this power and influence that uh, enables us to have the upper hand. Right? So in every way possible, God has stacked the deck on our side. You know, he, he's a thrifty card dealer, and he's dealed us a handful of aces. I mean, we got this nailed, right? But we still have to play the game. We still have to go through the process of going to battle. Even though he's made it possible for us to win, hands down, we still got to fight. God's not just going to do it for us. We must engage. And one of the reasons we must engage is that the, the thing we are battling against is really... A, Ourself, right? We are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that strikes at the very core of who we are as a person. Our will, our thoughts, our choices. Things that very much make up who we are as a person. So these are not just external things. It's not like battling the world or temptation outside. We're talking about the inward struggle that we all have. And the truth is that as believers, we become the most schizophrenic of people. Okay, if we were schizophrenic divided before, we are super schizophrenic now because now we clearly are divided into two distinct parts. The flesh, which is given to sin, which is tempted, which is weak, and which Paul says is it cannot please God and doesn't want to. Right? That's one side of us. The other side is, is the spirit side. Led by the Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, uh, sanctified, that lives for God and toward God, right? And we're, we're walking around every day with these two powerful forces in our life against each other and at odds with each other. And every day we wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, the, the picture of the two little, you know, the angel and the devil is cheesy and stupid, uh, but it's, it, there's some truth in it that every day we have these two sides. But it's not an angel and a devil, it's me and me, right? Me in the flesh me and the Spirit. And they're at war, and they're at conflict, and we, uh, Paul says, must win this battle. You win by killing sin, you have life. Sin wins by killing us, we have death. 
right? Uh, so he, he explains that, that we have to fight this battle and that we must do it ourselves, but that we don't do it by ourselves or in our own power. And he makes it clear that, uh, that it's by the Spirit that we do this. So let me read. Uh, and we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to actually read uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, and then 12 through 14. <coughs> Paul says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Um, Paul tells us that the, the key to winning this battle is, is to do it by the power of the Spirit. And in verse 14 he says, he clarifies that a little bit by stating that what he means by that is to be led by the Spirit. As a common phrase we hear, we use often, uh, and it really is... Uh, the key to our success. If we are to overcome sin, if we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh, as he talks about, we have to learn what it means to be led by the Spirit. Uh, the picture is this battle, okay, the two sides waging war, this huge conflict that goes on between us. And basically what Paul is saying here is that God has sent the, the Holy Spirit as our commander, as our battalion chief, who commands us as soldiers as we march forward into this war. And uh, as he leads us, uh, we do the fighting, but the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us to be effective and strategic in this battle. And um, when, we, when we think about this battle and how the Holy Spirit leads us, uh, Paul really identifies for us three areas, three strategic battlefields, if you will, three front lines where we're going to have to engage and fight this battle. And so this morning I want to focus... And I, my goal is to, is to not make it too theological, too out there. We'll really get down to some practical, theologically grounded, but practical things that we should be doing uh, to be led by the Spirit and to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So I hope, uh, and my prayer, is that these are uh, practical things, right, that you can be practicing every day as you battle against uh, sin, as you battle against your own flesh. And as you seek to be led by the Spirit, what do we mean by that? What does Paul mean by that? Um, to help us, help us with that, uh, and, and the, the, where, where I get these three battle lines from, really comes from the word that Paul uses for to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. The word there is the, word, the Greek word praxis. And we actually, it's actually an English word. Uh, I didn't know that, but really smart people may use this word. Maybe English teachers know this word. Uh, I had to look it up, okay? This is what praxis means. Praxis is the process by which a theory, a lesson, or a skill is enacted, practiced, embodied, or, re or realized, okay? It may also refer to the act of engaging, applying, exercising, realizing, 
or practicing ideas. Right? That's the Greek definition. So, and that's the Greek word that's, that's translated here, deed. And it has the idea that there's ideas out there, there's things you think about, and somehow they get practiced. They get put into real life action. Uh, the Greek definition is something like this. It's some completed deed, act, or work. Uh, it can be the way the activity is carried out, like the mode of operation. Or it can be the action as it's being planned, its intention. Right? So the word really kind of exercises on, on three levels. So when we think about the deeds of the flesh, it doesn't just mean the things you do, but it really is a broader word that can comprise three areas. Uh, the mind... Right, what you think about before you do something, the ideas, the thoughts, the, uh, the forethought, the intention that comes before you do something. Right? That would be one area. We'll look at that. Second area is the mode of operation. Okay, how does the flesh operate? Or how does the spirit operate? So we'll look at that. And thirdly, the actual behavior, the works or the deeds. So let's look first of all at the battlefield of thought, uh, the battleground of thought. To be led by the Spirit means to engage the enemy on this battlefront often, daily. All right? And this is a huge one. Probably the, of the three, the most critical and most important. Um, thinking is dangerous. Right? Uh, I think there's a movie in uh, what's Beauty and the Beast, you know, where Gaston kind of criticizes Belle for thinking. You know? He says, thinking is dangerous. It's true. Thinking is dangerous. And we actually do it quite a bit. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, Paul says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit think about the things of the Spirit. Right? So the first place the Spirit is going to lead us, and the first place the flesh is going to lead us, is in this area of thought. Now here's some... Uh, some interesting statistics as we think about this battle for the mind. Uh, quick guess, how many, does anybody have a guess, how many thoughts you have a day in, on average? You may have an idea, throw out a number. A thousand? Higher, more, well, more or less. Higher, 10,000? Anybody say more, more? Larry says more. Some people say as many as 70,000 thoughts a day. Okay, that's kind of the popular number. A little bit further research shows that the, act, the, the number is probably more like between 12,000 and 50,000 thoughts a day, right? That's a lot of thoughts flying around. A lot of thoughts. Uh, if you take just an average of those, uh, of say 25,000 thoughts per day, say you're just kind of a middle-of-the-road average thought producer, right? That's 17 thoughts a minute, right? 17 thoughts a minute. I and mean, you were firing off thoughts constantly, bang. Bang, 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 right? Uh, hopefully, as I preach, you know, my preaching intersects with some of those thoughts and you actually think of something about what I say. <laughs> but I know how it works, you know. Every once in a while we cross, but a lot of times, man, you know, you're just, you're on bytios, you're on trips, you're going on vacation, right? Because your brain is constantly thinking, working, and those thoughts just come zooming through and around. They say that the brain operates at about 10 to 23 watts of power. So literally, you know, the little light bulb on your head, you know, your brain generates enough electricity to actually power a light bulb. And it's thinking constantly. It is working. It is active. Right? Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is what he thinks about 
all day long. A man is what he thinks about all day long, right? Uh, what of those 25,000 to 50,000 thoughts that are floating through your mind constantly, if you could categorize those in groups, what would those groups be, right? Uh, great movie, Liar, Liar. Have you seen Liar, Liar? About this guy who's a chronic liar, habitual liar. He can just never tell the truth. And his son, for his birthday, makes a wish that his dad would, would tell the truth. And so... Uh, Jim Carrey is the character, you know, is, is cursed, really, with this thing that he can now only tell the truth, right? So everything that comes out of his mouth is just what he's thinking. And it gets him in a ton of trouble, right? This really uh, beautiful, attractive lady gets on the elevator, boom! And he says the first thing that comes to his mind, and it's not good, right? Um, could you imagine if all of our thoughts escape like that, Right? Uh, praise God that all of our thoughts do not turn into action, right? Praise God for that. Uh, but the reality is that uh, this, this, this barrage of 25,000 thoughts going through our mind, as uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson poignantly states, is shaping who we are as a person, is making us into the person who acts, who does things. So this is a huge battlefield, huge battlefield. And if we could be honest, if we could uh, start, you know, building a spreadsheet of our thoughts, if we could start category, categorizing those 50,000 thoughts a day, you know, really wicked thoughts, 5%, pretty wicked thoughts, 15%. You know, we could categorize it. It probably would be painful, right, to, to, to analyze our thoughts that way. That's what's happening, right? Every moment we're thinking. Thoughts are bombarding us, right? And it really is the first battleground for sin, right? It is the first place where the flesh is trying to get a foothold or if we're to battle against that, the first place where the spirit has to gain victory. Where if the spirit's going to lead, he's got to lead here first, right? Because this is a huge area of our life. Constantly throughout the day, night and day, our brain is working and we're having thoughts and we're having ideas, Right? And the truth is, a lot of these are quite beyond our control. Right? Uh, the, flesh, the flesh is like a pitching machine. You've never seen those baseball pitching machines? And you can set it, you put this big bucket of balls in, and you set this machine to, to pitch a ball every so often. Right? And that's the flesh. And it's out there, and it's pitching thoughts every chance it gets. Choo, choo. And the flesh does not pick good thoughts. Right? Uh, Paul says the mind set on the flesh is sin. The flesh generates sinful thoughts. And it's going to be throwing those things at you constantly. Right? And we know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. We know our sinful thoughts. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter how determined we are to be godly, to be righteous or pure, you know, these thoughts can just waylay us. Whew, I mean, where did that come from, right? It comes from our flesh. The flesh will never be reformed. It will never be good. And it will never stop trying to generate wicked, evil thoughts. Uh, you know, something happens. Uh, somebody says something to you you don't really quite like. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Man, I just want to run that person over with my truck, right? <laughs> okay? And you go, man, where did that come from? It's kind of extreme, isn't it? That's the flesh. Choo, choo, right? Beautiful girl walks by. 
boom, the flesh throws ideas at you. Right? Those in themselves are not sinful at that point. Right? It's, it's, it's the function, it's the job, it's the weapon of the flesh to be assaulting us constantly with these things. But what do we do with it? Right? What do we do with it? Uh, it may get the first thought, but we're responsible for the next 50 thoughts that come after it. Right? It may throw an idea, but what do we do with that idea? Well, often, too often, uh, what we do is we start getting into a pattern of stinking thinking. Uh, we, we start um, taking that initial idea that the flesh throws at us, and we hold on to it. We nurture it. We like it, right? We think uh, there's something appealing about it. We play with it. We fondle it. We entertain it. We make further plans, right? Uh, we enjoy it, right? All of a sudden, we are no longer being led by the spirit. We are being led by the flesh, right? And it can look like this. And I, I picked several things. Uh, the list can go on and on, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. But here's, here's some. First, the easiest one is lust. Uh, sex, pleasure, right? Uh, the, just the base nature of the flesh to, to experience pleasure. Uh, and, and a thought comes in our mind, right? Boom, this picture, this image, or this thought. Uh, some ad on TV or some billboard or some... I mean, it's everywhere around us, things that can trigger these thoughts, right? Uh, and we start to imagine... Uh, what it would be to touch, what it would mean to hold that person, uh, what it would mean to have what is off limits to us. We desire it. We think about it, right? Uh, the initial idea is from, is from the flesh, but how far do we take it, right? How long do we entertain it? How much of a life do we give to it, right? Uh, and we can start all of a sudden fantasizing and thinking and uh, desiring, desiring that, uh, that object, right? Uh, anger, right? Somebody says something, somebody does something to us, somebody mistreats us and there's injustice, uh, somebody doesn't appreciate us, somebody doesn't respect us, and we, you know, the flesh throws out the anger ball. The anger bomb, really. You should be angry about that, right? And ooh, yeah, you know, it stirs up anger. And we start to imagine how we would get even with that person, right? We begin to play with it. We begin to fondle it. We begin to make plans. And we think uh, what it would be like to pay them back. What it would be like to tell them what I think, right? You ever have those just ongoing conversations in your mind? Or you have this debate with them and you tell them the way it is, right? And you unleash your anger and you, you shrink them into the corner, hoveling, shaking, right? Because you've defeated them, right? And you've poured out your anger on them. Right? It's kind of fun, isn't it? You like that game? Oh, yeah, right? Uh, it's gratifying. And it can go further, how I would harm them, how I would destroy them, right? Thankfully, we don't often act on those things, Right? But how much do we think about them? How much do we entertain those ideas that are fleshly, right? Uh, envy. Uh, we see somebody and we envy their position. We envy their success. We envy their gifts, 
right? And we start thinking to ourselves, they're not really that great. You know, I could do that. I could do that. I could, in fact, I could do that better than they do. I know, you know. It's too bad they didn't pick me because if they had picked me, I, I would show them how to run this organization. I would show them, I would show them how to preach, really preach, because he's just not that good. You know, I would show them how to do this right. I could do this better. Uh, and and, and the, the, the crowds would flock to me, right? We envy. We, we long for what God has not given us or called us to. But we see how it seems to be working for them and we want what somebody else has. And so we fantasize about it. We have ideas and thoughts, right? We play with it. We plan. Uh, you can go on down to this greed, idolatry. Uh, you know, I would, I would really be truly happy only if I had blank, right? My life would be complete and full if I only had blank. You fill it in, right? And that thing becomes an idol and we think about it. We long for it. We... We, we wish, uh, we imagine, boy, if I, had, if I had a house like that, wow, you know, if I had that kind of money, if I had those gifts, right, becomes an idol. Um, maybe it's something like doubt or self-pity. You know, these thoughts come along. You know, God says he loves me. But how could God really love somebody like me, right? If God, because God knows me, God could not possibly love somebody as messed up as I am. I sin all the time. I fail Him. You know, really, God cannot be very happy with me. We doubt God's goodness. We get, we doubt His love, and we think about, um, you know, our failures and our disappointments before God. And instead of claiming His promises, we doubt them, right? And we degrade ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We speak badly about ourselves. Right? You can go on down to the self-pity. You know, woe is me. I am such a martyr. Missionary to the world. Serving God sacrificially. Pouring my life out for God. Oh, God owes me. Oh, does he owe me. Right? Where would the world be if I wasn't here serving? In my family. Serving my family sacrificially. They just don't appreciate what I give them, right? And we think these thoughts. See, and on down the list, 50,000 thoughts a day. What are your 50,000 thoughts? Oftentimes, they, they are generated by the flesh. And rather than encountering those things head on by the Spirit and saying, no, that is not where I'm going, we play with those thoughts. We entertain those thoughts. We develop those thoughts into full-blown pictures and movies, 3D animation, right? Paul says we need to be led by the Spirit in our thought lives. What does that look like? Well, uh, in Corinthians, Paul uses the phrase, we need to take every thought captive. And uh, we must be careful to guard every thought all day long. And that's why this is such a huge battle. 50,000 thoughts a day. Okay, this is exhausting. Okay, we're going up against 50,000 thoughts a day we gotta, we've got to do battle with. Now, of course, not all thoughts are generated by the flesh. Not all thoughts are bad. But the truth is, it is a constant barrage, isn't it? It is a constant barrage of dealing with my own brain. 
that's not always very godly. Uh, how do we take it captive? Well, he says, those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. They're thinking a lot about the Spirit and Spirit things. Right? We are intentionally working at thinking about God's stuff, about who He is and what He is doing and what His promises are. We are diligent, diligent, right, to be turning our mind in that direction. A couple of things it doesn't mean. Uh, it does not mean to stop thinking, right? Okay, which would be the, Buddhist, the approach of Buddhism, right? And I just, you think about this, you know, Buddhism just gets impressive when uh, 50,000, 70,000 thoughts a day, and their goal is to eliminate all of them. Okay, that's impressive. If you can pull that off, you get my applaud. Absolutely, right? Um, but it doesn't work, right? It really doesn't work. Maybe they can cut it from, you know, 30,000 down to 15, maybe down to 10,000. Maybe they can be so devoted they get down to just 5,000 thoughts. But here's the problem. All it takes is one to be sinful, right? It just takes one, right? Uh, that's not a, and, 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 and that's not the goal. God doesn't want us to stop thinking. Remember Ralph Waldo Emerson's quote, you know, what you think all day is what you are. You think nothing all day, you are nothing. Okay, I don't think God calls us to that. He calls us to be his children. He calls us to be godly people. Uh, second thing, it, it's not enough simply to switch off bad thoughts. Uh, one of the things, and, and we all know our thoughts. We all know the bad thoughts. We all see them coming. We, we, we know that. And there's a sense that I can just switch them off. Right, that I can cut them off at the pass, and that uh, when, when they come in, I just, I just stop thinking about it. Right? The problem is, uh, the flesh is not that, doesn't give up that easy. You know? uh, when we start, if we deal with that approach, we just say, well, I'm just going to turn off those thoughts. Well, the flesh just cranks up the baseball machine and starts firing them faster and faster and faster. Uh, have you ever had this situation where you were just really angry? Something happened at work or with your wife or husband or whatever, and you're just fuming mad, right? You just, you know, I mean, the flesh is like full roar on, right? And you're determined, okay, I'm not going to think, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to think, I'm not going to have this debate in my head, right? I'm not going to have it, right? Ten seconds goes by, pretty soon there's this conversation starting to boil. No, no, I'm not going to do that, right, right? Ten seconds later, pretty soon, you know, you can't control it, right? You can't just stop. It's not that simple to say, I'm just not going to think those thoughts. Uh, 50,000 thoughts, right? You just don't turn it off. It's not like a faucet. So what is the strategy? Well, he says, we are to set our mind, we are to consciously, actively set our thoughts on the things of the Spirit. It's not enough about what we don't think about. We need to really focus what we do think about. We need to start filling our mind, led by the Spirit, into the, the thoughts and things of God. Right? We need to start generating our own baseball machine that's firing the right thoughts into the mix constantly. Right? So we've got to generate God thoughts, Holy Spirit thoughts. We've got to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move into a new terrain where we start thinking the kind of thoughts that make us be the kind of people we want to be. Uh, to fill our minds with thoughts of God. Uh, as I said, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, 
Okay, we walk in the flesh. We are not waging a war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but we have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? Well, that's good fighting words, right? We take those thoughts and we engage them and we counter them with the truth of Christ, uh, with the truth of his word, with the knowledge of God, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Real quick, three practical uh, weapons of war in this field. Okay, how do you do this? How do you generate more thoughts that are pleasing to God? How do we actively be led by the Spirit into a thought life that is much more God-directed? That's what he's talking about here. There's lots of things. Let me just give you three that have worked good for me. You can add to your own list and share, it, share with each other. Uh, first, the discipline of, of, of meditating on Scripture. Uh, what I find is that my 50,000 thoughts, not only do I have them, but they are like herding cats. <laughs> they are like herding 50,000 cats. And I have very little discipline over them. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm most painfully observant of this when I go to pray, right? You go to pray, you've got your little prayer list, you only have to pray today for five things, Right? And how hard can it be to focus on one thing at a time, right? Uh, but you start to pray, and pretty soon, you know, your brain is gone, right? You've checked out. You've gone, you know, you're, 50, you're 150 thoughts down the road away from where you started praying, right? We need to learn the discipline of disciplining our thought life. And one of the greatest ways to do that is the art or the method of meditating on Scripture, taking a short passage of scripture and just slowly reciting it to yourself over and over again and forcing your, yourself to gain discipline over your out-of-control thinking in mind. Uh, I think this is a special problem for our day, our day and age when we exacerbate, we compound the problem by creating people who have the attention span of 10 seconds through technology, Right? through TV shows where the scene changes faster than our thoughts do, right? That's why they do that, because they know we got all these thoughts, so they got to change the scene on the TV faster than our thoughts change. So we've created in ourselves brains that are even more out of control, right? So we need to learn to sit still before God, meditate on his word, taking a few words of scripture and repeating it and learning the art and skill of focusing and focusing on his word, right? Second thing, the practice of singing praises, filling our minds with worship music. Great testimony. This is just so fun. Last night, all night long, when I would wake up coughing <coughs> and whatever else, um, the song, the song, worship song kept going through my head. Uh, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. And I just, every, every time I woke up, I'd fall back to sleep. And it was like my radio station was just stuck on that channel. And I'd wake up and I'd be somewhere else in the song. And I thought, you know, I really do like it that this doesn't happen to me always, but that worship music is just a part of my, my psyche. And that my brain uh, defaults there sometimes, right? It goes there sometimes. 
And then this morning we get we sing, and first song, first song we sing is that song. Like, man, that's, I don't know how that works. I don't, God's cool, right? God is cool. Um, you know, filling our minds with good worship music. Uh, filling our minds with good stuff, period. And obviously our thoughts are greatly influenced and affected by what we put into our brain, what we watch, what we listen to, what we see. Right? The more we focus on uh, seeing the right things, listening to the right things, doing, uh, you know, investing in thoughts that are good, the more that comes out in our thinking. Third thing, contemplating continually the wonders of the gospel. Right? Contemplating continually what Christ has done for us. And I think this is probably the most por- powerful and important of all. All of Scripture points to the cross. All of God's acti- activity from Genesis to Revelation centers and hinges on what Jesus did on the cross. Our whole spiritual existence depends on what Jesus did on the cross through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, the gospel. Right? Uh, how often does the gospel run through our 50,000 thoughts a day? Right? Uh, sadly, for, for many of us, you know, we're, we're several, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand thoughts into the week before the cross shows up once and flees through, right? I think the cross needs to be a huge percentage of our thinking because uh, it will influence as we go down the road, the other battles, especially the battles for our behavior. Right? When we're constantly meditating on the cross, when we're constantly thinking about the penalty and price of our sin, it makes, it makes it a lot more difficult to blatantly rebel against God. When I know what Jesus did to remove that sin from my life. Right? Uh, you know, set a goal. I want to think about the cross ten times today. Ten times a day. Set the alarm on your phone, you know. Uh, I don't know. Do something. So that we start turning our thought in those idle moments to the cross that Jesus did, reflecting on Scripture that reminds us what the gospel is. Huge power in that. Huge power in that. don't have time to explain more, but that's three tools, three weapons we can use and that the Holy Spirit would use, I believe, to lead us into different thinking. I spent a lot of time on that area because I think that's the, the, the biggest battlefield. Okay? Real quickly, let me look at the other two battlefields. Second one, the battlefield of control. Uh, remember I said the word praxis has three meanings. The intentions, the, the thoughts that go into an action. The mode of operation, secondly, of how we do an action. Uh, what is the mode of operation of the flesh? Uh, Paul says this, Uh, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's rule. And indeed, it cannot. What is the mode of operation of the flesh? Well, the mode of operation of the flesh is to be self-governed and self-ruled. It cannot submit to God and never will. The flesh will never be reformed. It will never wake up one morning and go, Oh, you know, I as a flesh want to honor God and bow my will before him. This is really the battle for our will. Uh, And the flesh wants to be self-willed and self-ruled, self-governed. It does not want anyone to tell it what to do. And the brilliance of... of, uh, And here's here's a statement that could get me in tons of trouble. 
So if you want to write down you know, a quote for me to just get me in huge trouble, here it is. Uh, democracy has become the socially accepted norm for def uh, defiance for the defiance of self-governed people. Okay, democracy has become the socially accepted norm for the defiance of self-governed people. Right? That's what democracy is. Nobody's going to rule me. I'm going to vote. I'm going to decide who rules. And if, when I don't like them, I'm going to vote in somebody else. I am going to be in charge. Okay? And the fruit of democracy is this out-of-control independence and self-controlledness. Where it is now socially acceptable, it's the ideal of the human existence to be governed by myself. We don't have kings anymore. Right? We don't bow to anybody or anything. Nobody rules me. That's the operation of the flesh. Right? Uh, what's the operation of the spirit? Well, Paul says in verse uh, 14, uh, we are to be led by the spirit. Everyone who is led by the spirit, this is a child of God. This is a son of God. However democracy works in the world, it does not work in God's uh, government. Okay? There's no such thing in, as democracy in God's kingdom. God rules as king, and he demands the loyalty and submission of every subject. We are to bow our wills before him. To be spirit-led ultimately means I waive my right to rule myself, and I give him the authority over my life to rule and govern me. Right? My flesh hates that. And every morning you wake up, it wants to assert self-rule and self-will. Right? And we have to consciously crush that self-willed desire and say, God, I lay down, I yield my will to you. I want to walk in obedience to your spirit. I want to hear what you are nudging and prompting me to do. And without question, I want to be obedient to you. Right? Um, Spirit-led obedience. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It is the mark of every believer to be spirit-led. Uh, now, there's, there's several ways to lead, right? Um, the Spirit, he says, if you're a child of God, you are led by the Spirit. Absolutely. But all leading is not equal. Okay? Do, do, you, know, do you, know what they call, you know what they call it when you lead a mule? They call it dragging. Dragging. Right? Not, um, some of us are like mules. The Holy Spirit's leading us, but from a distance it looks a lot like dragging. Right? It's not yielded willing, uh, lay my life down and, and easily, gladly be led by the Spirit. Right? The Spirit's dragging us along and we're resistant. And it's hard to make quick progress this way. You know, it's not efficient. Uh, we need to have a life that's willingly laying down our life. Um, last thing. Uh, the battlefield of behavior. Uh, Paul says uh, that we're to put to get death the deeds of the body, and it's true that a lot of sin, a lot of what it comes down to is how our body uh, does stuff. And our body is in many ways a double agent. It is, in, it is in a sense, neutral, 
But it can, it can serve both sides equally well. It can serve the flesh. It can serve the spirit. Right? Uh, so we are kind of caught with this body that's a double agent. And the actual activity of our body, it is what we do with our hands, what we look at with our eyes, what we listen to with our ears, what we touch and hold, what we build and tear down, what we create and recreate, right? Uh, the places our feet carry us to, the things that we say with our mouth. It's all the body's interaction. And a lot of it is, is the outpour of what we've been thinking. Right? A lot of times we do things with our body we wish we didn't. But it didn't just happen there. It happened because we've been thinking things behind it a lot. Right? Um, Romans 8, uh, it, so, so we want to do the right thing. Right? We want to do good. Right? But notice something in, in Romans 8.8. 8, notice how Paul talks about what the fault of the flesh is. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, is it enough just to do good? Notice this. He doesn't say those who are in the flesh cannot do good. He says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The truth is there's a lot of people living by the flesh can do lots of good things. The goal here is not good moral conduct, not good ethical behavior. That's not enough. When it comes to the activity of the body, to be spirit-led doesn't mean just to do good things, because that's not good enough. An, un, an, uh, an unbeliever, living totally in the flesh, can do good things, can be moral, can be a good person in some outward form. Right? That's not the test. Paul says, those led by the flesh cannot please God. Whatever their goodness is, it's not pleasing behavior. God is not impressed with it. God does not delight in it. God is not honored by it. The real question for us then, if we're to be led by the Spirit, is to ask ourselves, is what I am doing not just good, but is it truly pleasing God? Uh, Paul puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Right? Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? So, uh, so this is our behavior, our kind of to be spirit-led, means that everything we do becomes an act of worship. It means consecrated living. Everything ought to be a gift of worship to God. Uh, to do that, we need to be very diligent that we know the heart and mind of God. Right? We've got to know what would, what would be pleasing to Him. But everything, every single thing, has the potential to be worship or not. Right? So the reality is you can do very good things, but if you do them for your own glory and not for worship, is God pleased with it? No. Right? He is pleased with what is given as a gift to him in worship. That should be the test of every single thing we do. Consecrated living. Uh, I didn't know Steve was going to be here this morning. I probably wouldn't have used the Celtic prayer analogy because he's from Ireland. You know, So if I misquote, I'm sorry. But 
the, the Celts, the early Irish, had this famous habit of praying for everything. Right? And there's some great Celtic prayer books where they pray for everything. Um, uh, and here's an example. You know, the prayer for making the bed. I make this bed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the night we were conceived. <laughs> Interesting thought. In the name of the night we were born. In the name of the day we were baptized. In the name of each night, each day, each angel that is in the heavens. Right? Saying, God, you know, in this chore of making the bed, it's worship. It's a gift to you of worship. Right? Um, they had uh, lots of examples. I won't go into them all. But uh, over and over again, they had this attitude that they would make everything worship to God. Right? Uh, that's the test of our behavior. Not, not so much what would Jesus do. That's a good one. But a better one, God, can I do this as worship? Is this what I'm doing right now pleasing? And can I consecrate everything? You know, we pray for our meals. Why don't we consecrate everything? Right? Why don't we consecrate everything with a small prayer that says, God, as I drive my car to work, may I drive in a way that brings safety to the world around me, that brings life and health to pedestrians and people on motorbikes, right? honors you right? as, I, as I do every activity make it a, a gift of worship to God let's pray Father we uh, want to be led by your spirit and Lord we recognize this reality of daily battling with our thoughts and our minds and our, our decisions You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.